truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in here today on The Blaze and On Demand. This is The Steve Day Show. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you'd like to join us, 888-933-93 is the number. 888-933-93. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. And that's D-E-A-C-E is how you can spell the last name. If you're listening to us today on Blaze Radio or uh, On Demand on the podcast, and if you are listening today, via podcast. Thank you. Uh, Leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, if you wouldn't mind. And thank you to all of you that have done that uh, already. Uh, Also, if you're going to like us on Facebook, you need to like us there a lot because we're shadow banned there. So just keep clicking that like button for us. Maybe one of them will actually take. You can also follow us on Twitter until we're shadow banned there too, at Steve Dace Show. Our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz, will be joining us to take us inside politics at the bottom of the hour. I've got a truth bomb today where I am going to defend the millennials. Yes. Someone needs to defend your generation's honor, Aaron. And it's, I have appointed myself to this position. I, you know, I, I, I'm glad for this, but I, I don't think it's what it seems right now. It's not quite as cheery. <laughs> it sounds like you're about to say, uh, my generation has no honor. <laughs> yeah. And because they're so bad at defending themselves, you're going to do it, thus you're ripping on them anyway. Sometimes, though, you know, all, sometimes you are a victim. I mean, if, 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 some, if there's a tragedy... You you know there's there's real victimology, well victimology in general is 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 fake, all right? But there are real victims in life. You you can be victimized, right? It's okay? science versus scientism, is what yeah, you're talking about, yes. you know, kind of thing. In in this particular case, I I think the uh, the millennial generation is are actually victims here, and are unfairly maligned and stigmatized. And I'll get to that uh, in my truth bomb later today, which will make the uh, the millennials watching cheer and will probably cost me audience share among the other generations from that are older that make up the bulk of our audience should i rethink this actually it's, it's a um, true story everything he just said was completely accurate yeah should i, I it, you know we survived to 500 episodes if i if i keep going out of my way to purposefully alienate the bulk of our audience are we going to survive for 500 more if we start thinking about making it to the next 500, man, that, no, 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 that's Kobayashi Maru stuff. Let's yeah. just take today. Yeah, we didn't think we were going to make it to this 500. Let's yeah, just that, do that, this. That, that's true. So we're going to, you know, you only live once, right? There we go. So we're going to, it's the year of no BS. So uh, we're going to deal with that with today's truth bomb. And then it is uh, buy, sell, or hold Wednesday, where Aaron will sit back and allow you to do his work for him. That is coming up uh, a little bit uh, later on. So there's the, there's our millennial Sit back and let somebody else do the work. There it is. Yeah, it's the American way. Um, you know what? It kind of is. That's that's a little tease to the truth bomb coming up later on today. So if if you want to help our show, uh, one of the things we love to do is help worthy causes. And our friends at Back to Jerusalem, their heart is for the most worthy of all causes, uh, bringing the word of God to persecuted people in what are called closed countries. These are closed because their oppressive regimes have attempted to close their people off uh, to the word of God for the main reason that they don't want their people to be inspired, hope-filled, because inspired and hope-filled people have a tendency 
to put up with uh, a lot less oppression. So if you want to help with this cause, here's what the, they've got to add back to Jerusalem. They, they've found a way to get uh, the scriptures into places like Iran, um, communist China, Somalia, um, you know, where we get our Congress people today, North Korea, uh, you know, where apparently we're besties. Uh, and the way that they've done it is they've taken the scriptures and put it in an electronic form that's about uh, yay big, about the size of a pill, which makes it easier to, sm- I mean, to uh, sneak it past uh, the gatekeepers uh, in these uh, closed countries. And and it costs about $15. The total production, overhead, delivery, et cetera, of each one of these is about 15 bucks. Do you have an extra 15 bucks on you? You know, that's a cost of you and a, and a coworker going to a fast food lunch today. If, if you're thinking, hey, this one time would be a more worthwhile investment, here's how you can help. BlazeHelp.org is the website, BlazeHelp.org, or give them a call, 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by, if only every congressional testimony were like this. At a congressional hearing on the so-called rise of white nationalism and hate crimes, Prager U's Candace Owens was called to testify and defend some out-of-context remarks of hers about Hitler and nationalism. I think it's pretty apparent that uh, Mr. Liu believes that black people are stupid and will not uh, pursue the full clip in its entirety. He purposely presented an extract, an extracted witness, clip. Witness will suspend for a moment. It is not proper to refer disparagingly or to a member of the committee. Uh, the witness will not do that again. Witness may continue. Sure, even though I was called despicable. Um, witness may not refer to a member of the committee as stupid. I didn't refer to him as stupid. That's not what I said. That's not what I said at all. You, you didn't listen to what I said. May I continue? Please. As I said, he is assuming that black people will not go pursue the full two-hour clip. And he purposefully extracted, he cut off, and you didn't hear the question that was asked of me. He's trying to present as if I was launching a defense of Hitler in Germany, when in fact, the question that was asked of me was pertaining to whether or not I believed that Hitler was a, whether or not I believed in nationalism, and that nationalism was bad. And what I responded to was that I do not believe that we should be characterizing Hitler as a nationalist. He was a homicidal, psychopathic maniac that killed his own people. A nationalist would not kill their own people. That is exactly what I was referring to in the clip, and he purposely wanted to give you a cut-up similar to what they do to Donald Trump to create a different narrative. That was unbelievably dishonest, and he did not allow me to respond to it, which is worrisome and should tell you a lot about where people are today in terms of trying to drum up narratives. By the way, I would like to also add that I work for Prager University, which is run by an Orthodox Jew, and a single Democrat showed up to the embassy opening in Jerusalem. I sat on a plane for 18 hours to make sure that I was there. I'm deeply offended by the insinuation of, of revealing that clip without the question that was asked of me. Benjamin Netanyahu won re-election as Israel's prime minister yesterday. Beto O'Rourke, your thoughts. The U.S.-Israel relationship is one of the most important relationships that we have on the planet. And that relationship, if it is to be successful, must transcend partisanship in the United States, and it must be able to transcend a prime minister who is uh, racist, uh, as he warns about Arabs coming to the polls, who wants to defy any prospect for peace as he threatens to annex the West Bank, 
uh, and who has sided with a far-right racist party in order to maintain his hold on power. Speaking of anti-Semites, Minnesota Congresswoman Ilan Omar is back in the spotlight defending the Muslim Brotherhood, a.k.a. the Council on American-Islamic Relations. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. 9-11, some people did something. Newsweek's new cover story, how Ilan Omar is changing the conversation about Israel and upending the 2020 campaign. In completely unrelated news, federal authorities this week charged 28-year-old Rondell Henry of Germantown, Maryland, alleging he stole a U-Haul van and planned to use it to run over a large group of people at National Harbor. Authorities said, quote, he harbored hatred for those who do not practice the Muslim faith. That reporting courtesy of Kevin Lewis of ABC News in Washington, D.C. CNN panelist Sam Vinograd admits Obama actually separated families at the border. President Obama separated children from their families. Well, but well, it was for their protection. Right. It, was, it was if there was a risk of trafficking or other kind of harm. Congressman Eric Swalwell says he's running. Hey, guys. So I'm running about three more miles. He becomes the 665th candidate running for the Democratic nomination. Speaking about people running for the Democratic nomination, Bernie Sanders announced he's releasing his tax returns. And in an interview with the New York Times, he said he's a millionaire. Quote, I wrote a best-selling book. If you write a best-selling book, you can be a millionaire, too. Campus Reform is reporting Lehigh University is promoting a men's cuddling group for the aim of redefining masculinity. And finally, please allow me to let this small boy show us the real beginning of masculinity. He's got one. Oh, reel, it reel it in, son. Reel it in. Reel it in. Reel it back up. Help I will if you'll back up. I want you to do it by yourself. Back up, Kason. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Of it. Let go of your rod. Hold him. Good boy. Hold him like this. That's hold it, how hold it tight. It. Grab a hold of it tight. Just like that. And look at look at mama. That's how a man holds it. And he even holds the fish at the very end. That's probably the best part. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage today brought to you by our friends at RidUZone. If you're one of those folks who've lost your resolve in your New Year's resolution to get healthier this year, it may not be your fault. Uh, as we get older, our metabolisms just ain't what they used to be, particularly if you abused it for far too long. One of the biggest challenges is kicking that metabolism into high gear. And then there's another challenge, though. Once you start getting going, you know, your body's like, hey, you're exercising, you're active. You know, we need more input. You know, um, and you may think uh, I've got to eat more uh, and then you kind of need to tell your body, give it the signal. Hey, you know, I'm full. I can be done eating as well. So if you're looking for something that will help your metabolism on both ends of the spectrum, check out Riduzone. Now, this is not a stimulant, which is why when you turn over the bottle, it's got like four ingredients and one of them is rice. 
Okay, this is an all-natural product whose primary substance and ingredient is, is known as OEA, which is one of the primary ingredients you find in olive oil. It's something our bodies produce. It's just that our bodies produce less of it as we get older. That's why we're not the fat-burning machines we were when we were youngins. So if you want to drink a whole bottle of olive oil to get that OEA back in your system, that is one path you may partake of. Or you can take the less strenuous one. Just take one capsule of Riduzone and get the exact same input. All right. You can get a three-month supply of Riduzone right now for 30% off when you use my name as a promo code, Steve, at Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, Riduzone.com, promo code, Steve. All right, let's get to Aaron's montage. And let me just say this right from the outset. On the uh, men's cuddling group, oh, hell no. Hell no. Moving on. Um, Some of the uh, other things that uh, Aaron put in his uh, montage today. The, The Candace Owens clip from yesterday. And I've been, I've been fascinated to watch the emergence of her and um, TPUSA and that kind of outfit. And we haven't really talked a lot about it on the show. Um, at least that I can recall. No. No? Uh, there was something she did about a year ago. I'm trying to remember now what it was. And I thought I was very impressed with it at the, the time. The press release where she changed the words, right? Yes. And it was on one topic, but she changed all the words to... Uh, be racially charged. And she got banned from Twitter as a racist when she's black, obviously. And she was doing this to prove a point, as I recall, yes. right? And so there was very, there was a there was a certain uh, Tatiana McGrathian mm-hmm. aspect of making them uh, own what it is that they are, that no, own their own points and language. And we were very impressed with it. I have sat back and watched, um, though, because I've, there's a lot of, I shouldn't say there's a lot, there's numerous people because what's a lot, you know? I don't know. Numerous seems less subjective because it could be more than one. could be five, could be six. A lot makes it sound like there's hundreds, okay? There are numerous people whose opinions I respect who can't stand her. Can't stand Charlie Kirk, can't stand TPUSA, et cetera, okay? And, and I get some of the clickbaity stuff. I'm not, and I haven't really been sure how much of that is just professional jealousy, a lot. And it, and that's why I've sat back and said nothing. You know, there's a, a, a wise Jewish man once gave this advice. You know, if, if, if it's a righteous cause, you won't be able to stop it. So just sit back and observe and let it run its course. Because if it's not, you'll it'll expose itself that way too, right? So I've kind of just sat back and not really commented on it because... I, I'm even though I know a lot more of the uh, the conservative um, fancy pants than probably most of you watching me do or listening today do. I I don't roll in those circles. I live in Iowa. Um, I don't even attend CPAC every year. I don't get invited to go to these conferences. I've never been to the Western Conservative Forum or any. I, I'm kind of an outsider, you know. And if it weren't for the fact that you know people have had to go through me basically on some small level to run for president because of where I live, I wouldn't even have any of the contacts that I kind of do have. So I, I, and I bring that up because, you know, I learned from being the new kid in school a lot. I went to 11 different schools, K through 12th grade growing up because we moved around a lot. And one of the things you learn when you move around a lot is to sit back and observe because you don't know who's who 
You don't know which clicks are are clicking. You don't know, um, you know, uh, who is, you know, who the players are without a scorecard, basically. And and this is all very clicky. You should know that. It is all very clicky. And you know, you'll see people that that will give third, fourth, fifth chances to to disgraced personalities. That if they if they hadn't known them previously or worked with them previously, they would never go that far. And that's human nature. We're guilty of it too, to some extent. You know, um, we can't get beyond that. We're relational creatures. And my acknowledgement of that is why I've kind of just sat back and observed this, because there was I, there was at least as good of a chance that she was an opportunist as it is that much of the criticism surrounding her is professional jealousy. Let me say this, and, and I, I don't know her. I've never met her. Uh, met Charlie Kirk briefly in passing on the cruise campaign. Don't really know him, though, at all. I will say this, though, specifically about Candace. It has been my experience in my political career that you don't open yourself up to the level of scrutiny being called to testify before Congress that comes along with that. And it's the Congress run by the other side. And you are volunteering. You're not Daniel in a lion's den here. He was he was sentenced there. <laughs> you don't of your own volition say, yeah, I'm, I'm the, I'll show up. You don't open yourself up to that level of scrutiny. You don't put yourself on that level of platform. If, if you're a craven opportunist. You just don't. You don't do that. Um, because the, ex- the risk of exposure. Now, if you're a sociopath, you might, because you, you know, that, and I know that term because we've associated it so often with, um, with serial killers, but sociopath is like jihad. There's all kinds of, every Muslim believes in jihad. It's just a matter of whether they believe in a violent one or not. Okay. You can be a sociopath and, and not be violent. It, it's just, it's just simply a clinical condition of, you have created an alternative reality that is so favorable to your existence that you you truly believe your own feces doesn't stink. And and this is what makes them effectively good liars. It's it's what you like to say, quoting George Costanza all the time. It's not a lie if you believe it. They they believe their own feces. They believe it. With every fiber of their being, they believe it. I would argue Mitt Romney's a sociopath. I mean, a guy truly believes his dad walked with Martin Luther King Jr., truly believes the stuff that he's made up about himself. Truly believes it. I think Bill Clinton was a sociopath, for example. Okay. Um, so I guess if you want to believe, if you're in the detractor category, I think Craven Opportunist is out the window for her now. Because you can't, you can't stand up to that level of scrutiny. Well, Steve, she's in a room with Craven Opportunist. Yeah. And if she's one, they're all better and more experienced at it than her. You know what I'm saying? You can't. You are not going to out-crave an opportunist a congressional panel, guys. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> All right? You're just not. You know? You're not, you're not going to show up at the adult film convention and out-slut them. You're not gonna, I mean, you aren't going to show up at a body of Congress 
and say, you know what, man, I can be, I can out an opportunist all y'all. You're not, you're not going to do that. All right. So, um, I'm fascinated watching her emergence because there's been times where I've watched the Kanye West thing and I'm like, eh. you know, we kind of went back and forth talking about that about a year ago. Uh, and then I mentioned a little while ago, I was impressed with one of the stunts she pulled. And I say that favorably. I've pulled stunts. We pull stunts on this show all the time. Stunts can be an effective tool to make a point when addressing things head on, people may not either yet be ready for or find offensive. But that, that, was, an ex- that was a very impressive showing yesterday, I thought. And... The lesson here, I think, is that doesn't mean I have to agree with every meme they tweet out. I don't. Okay? But there's there's some level of real conviction there. There's some level of sincere conviction there that I don't believe this is, you know, I, I don't think this is, she's not a, a black Scotty Hughes. There, there is real conviction there. And, and you cannot stand up to that level of scrutiny when you're on the defensive. It's you in there essentially alone. You can't, you can't fake that as an opportunist. I, I, I have known my share of opportunists. I remember the time we got Ann Coulter on the air and cornered her. Do you guys, do, oh, yeah. you were listeners back then. Yeah. Do you guys remember what she said to me? I will when you tell me. Yeah, she was going to head, she had to go take care of her mommy. She literally told me that on the air. She had to go take care of her mommy. That See, that's what... Craven opportunists don't sit there when they're being scrutinized and say, oh yeah, and one more thing while I got the mic. They don't do that. All right, they, 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 <laughs> they don't riff. They don't ad-lib. They stick to the script. They got them where they're at. They stick to those talking points. They don't riff. They don't, they don't ever come back and say, hey, and you know what? One more thing while I'm here. I want to drop this one on you too. All right. So um, that's that's my big takeaway watching that moment go viral. And that's a case of something that deserved to go viral. And that is, to me, worthwhile clickbait. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? I have long thought about her. This is a spidey sense kind of thing. But I, we, you and I were talking about Aaron Rodgers and his, the thing that's going on with him mm-hmm. uh, lately on the sports side. And I said, if he wasn't the Packers quarterback, I think I probably wouldn't stand Aaron Rodgers because right. of what I, I think pound for pound in whatever is the conservative movement. I have long thought that pound for pound, she is one of the most courageous people in it you, to a, to leave your tribe and face what you and I can only imagine she has to face on that end of things and then to not give a rip if she's welcomed on the other end by another tribe as you've said they pillory her on that end Mm -hmm. she just doesn't seem to care yet she seems decent enough then when kanye went all kanye and back and forth you know she said you know Listen, brother, I liked where you were at on this. I can't go with you here. Uh, she, you know, she she was a human being. She talks about how she works with Dennis uh, uh, Prager. She she seems to me to have an open heart to just about anybody, but very much in making your career. Like, uh, I'd like to be friends with all you, but here's my line. 
I don't cross it. You cross it. It's a fight. I just dig the girl. I really do. And I have for a long time. I don't, like, I don't, if you don't know her, I don't know any better, but I just, I, she seems to, we need more people like her. Yeah. Um, that's, that's part of my takeaway is if you want to engage effectively in this arena, you have to have effective proxies enable in order to do that. And, you know, say what you want about Sarah Sanders. She has an incredibly, probably one of the more uh, outside of, you know, uh, mining for, aside from any, uh, any run form. A plutonium mine? Yeah. Uh, aside from, <laughs> from any form of, of dangerous manual labor, putting that in a separate category, she has a very difficult job. And, you know, there are things that I'm sure she could be better at. But when when you're in this arena, you have to be able to have proxies like that who are fearless and this is not a knock on him and not a knock on her but i remember todd you specifically saying uh when i think it was amy coney barrett and russ vote those confirmation hearings when they were just being pilloried by leftist democrats about uh certain aspects of their faith um you said todd i think Somebody just needs to step up and and just throw it back at their faces mm-hmm. and say, "How dare you?" Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's that's what we need more of in the public light, not just to let this. Oh, I'm so offended. And she did, you know, Candace Owens did say that, but the gist of her entire uh, soundbite there was, "Ted Lou, you can go yourself." Mm-hmm. That's basically mm-hmm. that's basically we got to have that. We have to have people who aren't just wide eyed and not saying that Russ votes and she, he handled this really well. And so did Amy Coney Barrett as well. They handled those, I think, very well. But we have to have people who are not willing to just take it, but go back on the attack and call out these because what are they going to come back with? What are they going to well, come they had back with? What saw are they it. going to come back with? They're going to come back with Jerry Nadler. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what they're going to that be. That shrug. Back with. Yeah. Is everything that it, yes, what you just said, yeah. I mean that that is it's everything to to elicit that response, and and I want to say this too because you know I work in an, I work in an industry where me, most of the consumers are white, and you've all been totally worked over by 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 uh, political correctness that no one is better at white liberal guilt than white conservatives you're so damn defensive all the time i've watched people who are no talent hacks rise high in this line of work because they're good at looking into a teleprompter and saying things white people want to hear while black that's why i remember i was at a town hall of Herman Cain's presidential run in Iowa after having gone to all, I, and I was, you know, the family leader of the organization that, uh, you know, we share office space and they had all the candidates in. I went to his town hall in Pella, Iowa, and it was the most shallow, vapid presidential town hall of that cycle. And I went to them all. He knew nothing. I mean, I, I couldn't believe he was on the radio. Like this guy's on the radio in Atlanta for three hours a night. And his knowledge is, could not be more shallow about like everything. And then I watched a room, hundreds of white people, 55 and older, give him a standing ovation afterwards. Why? If he was white and had that kind of shallowness to him, uh, his campaign would have been over the next day. But you all have been so worked over by the names you've been called. You have a great desire 
you have a great desire to see people that don't look like you. That's why we joke about what's your what, what's your favorite hyphenated uh, amalgamation sure to come Aaron, that, that that's on its way. Yeah, uh, Muslim, atheist, vegan, pansexual, yes. lizard people. You're all paranoid about you. You don't want to be Islamophobes. You don't want to be homophobes, xenophobes. So you guys are always looking for people that don't look like you, which is exactly the game the left wants you to play. And you've done it. And and by doing this, you have promoted grifters in your own movement, who are good at nothing, other than just not being white while rubbing your bellies. And saying, you're right. You know what? One of the reasons we played that little affirmation yesterday, because many of you in our audience want the same thing. You're right. You're the one. You're the one. You're not conservative. You're not a homophobe. You think Richard Grinnell's a great ambassador. You're not a racist. You thought a guy, you know, a, you know, a pizza chain owner uh, should have been president. You guys are looking for the same things. Everybody has been so worked over. And that was what, another thing I wanted to see. I wanted to see... Whether whether she was willing to be, whether she's going to be a weapon here or a construct. That's a weapon, which you see in that clip. Now that's, that's, I'm not ignorant of the fact that we have racial ethnic differences in America. But if we allow people who show no conviction whatsoever or ability to defend what we believe, let alone actually believing what we claim we believe and we uh, we elevate them simply because they're not whiteies or straight we've lost the game we've played right into we fell right into the banana in the tailpipe in fact we we went to the store grab bananas and shoved them up our own tailpipe that's exactly the game the left wants to play what you see right there is you see a black woman throwing their game right back in their face and owning them that now that that's some owning the libs i'm all for that Hey, if you're thinking of buying or selling a home now that springtime is here, it is uh, house hunting, house shopping season. Um, you want to check out a company that Glenn Beck and his associates started a few years ago. It's called Real Estate Agents I Trust. And they started it because they learned you just can't automatically trust every real estate agent out there. You can't trust them at least um, automatically when it comes to getting the results and the performance at the most important time. They kept running into real estate agents that talked a good game, but then didn't deliver when called upon. That's what sets real estate agents I trust apart from other referral type of services that are out there. I've been listening, you know, you listen on a podcast, you might hear an ad for one, for example, um, I've heard recently that's sponsored by the National Association of Realtors, which is, you know, that's all well and good, but that also tells you that they're there advocating for the realtors to find clients. What sets this one apart is they're advocating for you, the client, to find the right realtor, uh, realtors that have been vetted, uh, that have been transparent about their results, held accountable, and that's why they made the list here at Real Estate Agents I Trust. So if you want to buy or sell or buy and sell, sometimes you do that at the same time, for fast and for the right price, do it with the team at realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. And now, without further ado, we present our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation. Daniel Horowitz is here with us, uh, taking us inside politics on the blaze. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Great to be with you. Who says it's always woe and lamentation? You know, there's some good news. Well, let's start with the news out of uh, out of Jerusalem from overnight. Uh, multiple media sources over there are projecting reporting. I don't know that it's official yet, 
were certified. But uh, over there, they're reporting that it looks like Bibi Netanyahu is going to hold on uh, as prime minister. And uh, if he finishes this term, it would make him, I think, the longest, or maybe he already is, longest serving prime minister in Israeli history. Um, what what do you make of this news? And he actually, this go around, drew some criticism and concern uh, from people that I know are, are major supporters, like my buddy Joe Rosenberg, who lives there in Jerusalem. Uh, one of the alliances that he apparently made in their parliamentary system is with, uh, I, I guess, a, an ethno-nationalist Zionist group or something along those lines. I mean, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't take much about the latter point, but I think the broad, the broader point is this: I haven't <clears throat> followed the elections as closely as I did in previous years. There's just too much going on here at our border, but I think there are a lot of lessons that we could take away for our border and our sovereignty. One of them being this: first of all, by the way, you know how we're lamenting. Like, does anyone think like us anymore? Are we a minority? Are we a permanent minority in this country? Just you know. We, we're not gay. We're not some sort of group. We don't want some special thing. We just want sovereignty, security, a civil society to prosper without government subsidizing or regulating us. So in Israel, the left is actually saying that the original Marxist that started the kibbutzes um, that settled Israel that often had um, pictures of Stalin up on their walls, mm. uh, they're they're almost obsolete and they, they're they're now saying, could the left ever win again in Israel? Hmm. So p- part of the interesting lesson is I don't think there's any other country like that in the world. And there's a reason for it where immigration is making it more conservative. And that's simply because rather than immigration coming from the third world, they're actually coming from Europe and North America. And they're coming for a very specific ideal to preserve that type of civilization rather than dilute it. So it's it's, it's actually interesting that over time – that old, um, what they used to call Sabra uh, mainstays of Israeli society, who many of them were socialist, a lot of them have been flushed out. <clears throat> um, I think what's interesting here is that in order to even get where the left did, they ran an entirely new party. So in other words, the Labor Party, right? That was Ben-Gurion. That's what founded the state. Mm-hmm. Um, every major country has a Labor Party, you know, uh, Britain has a Labour Party. Imagine next election in Britain, the Labour Party disappearing. That's what happened. The Labour Party now has six seats. So they had to construct a new party that they called centrist. They had um, a war hero, former army chief of staff, I think, as as the head of it, ran on a security uh, uh, ticket. That in conjunction with the fact that Look, there is going to be fatigue when a guy has been prime minister for 13 years, 10 consecutively, and then there's endless negativity, endless you know, the indictment, the corruption scandals, whether it's true or not. Um, it's going to take a toll, and then you have a landing place for people to land in and say, hey, you know, you don't have to vote for a leftist. This guy's a centrist. He's a general, and still he was able to win. So the point is the left can't even – rear their ugly head there openly they have to couch it in a new packaged party so i think that's a very significant lesson one more lesson that i think we need to learn is this part of why it appears that the Likud will have more than more seats than it's had in a while is because they cannibalized some of the parties on the right you referenced that and there are some people that are disappointed that those parties didn't do better but my understanding is part of it is they're a victim of their success 
that the Likud slate over the years has moved to the right and has kind of captured the spirit of you know, preserving the sovereignty of Judea and Samaria, which was always the mainstay of those um, further to the right parties. So what that tells me is that that's the power of having multiple parties, Steve. Mm-hmm. In America, we're stuck with this crap. Mm-hmm. We're stuck with this duopoly. There's nothing we can do. We can't primary these guys. We can't draw attention. We're stuck with them. Uh, whereas the Likud, you know, you remember in the uh, early 2000s, they were drifting to the left like every major right-leaning party in Western civilization. People forget Angela Merkel is technically from the right-leaning party. Mm-hmm. Um, Theresa May, technically from the right-leaning party. Same thing with France. Um, you know, you basically have a communist party and a left-leaning party in these two c- countries. The Likud was heading in that direction. They supported the pullout from Gaza, right? But I think having those parties on the right kept them in check and completely transformed it. So, uh, you know, that's something we need to copy here. Is there a broader lesson that applies? We, we don't have a, we want to have, we have a system that would permit wedge parties if we had a level of conviction, because it wasn't until post-Civil War that we had the two-party system we've come to know today. We, we had wedge parties, we had single-issue parties, we had multiple parties, for example, for the first, what, you know, almost century of this republic, okay? Um but even though we don't have a parliamentary system, we don't have the existence right now uh, in our body politic of wedge parties. The cultural dynamic that you explained, let's assume for the sake of this point, Bibi Netanyahu is guilty of all the corruption he's being, him and his wife are being accused of. Let's assume they're guilty of all of it. The choice that his political opponents are, are therefore offering and this is this is after, as you described, they did an entire re, a public rebrand, a total reboot re, of their brand. The our democratic, our left party in our country, our our far left party, because you and I probably would agree that the Republicans at this point are kind of a left party. Our far left party in this country isn't doing a full reboot rebrand. They're they're doing a full coming out of the brand that we've often accused them of actually being. They're like, hey, it's us, you know. I mean, they're holding a you know pride parade. All right, so they're not even at the step that they feel like they have to do a, re- a rebrand. They're they're going, you know, to the wall. Is the choice the Israeli people get worth? Let's assume that Netanyahu's guilty of it all. We don't know that, but let's assume that he is for the sake of this point. The choice being given to the Israeli people is Benjamin Netanyahu's corruption. He is personally corrupt, but not in a way that directly impacts your livelihood, your children's safety on a daily basis. So um, you have corrupt Bibi Netanyahu versus these folks that would essentially make um, Abbas, the uh, the de facto vice prime minister of the nation of Israel, choose, right? You see where I'm going with this? And is is that similar to where we may be heading in 2020, where the it, it's what I've described on our show before, you may be a suburban white woman who cannot stand Donald Trump. It ain't like he hasn't given you reasons to feel that way. Ask yourself this question. What do you hate more? What he's tweeting at 5 a.m. or the direction the Democratic Party want to take the country? What what has more far-reaching implications for you and your children? These sound like somewhat similar cultural dynamics. Am I wrong? So, yeah, a lot of people have made that uh, analogy, and I think there's a lot of validity to it up until a point that is 
what I call the great question mark of our civilization is what is our breaking point? So mm-hmm. basically to unpack that, you know, ju- just today, a new poll came out, 58% approve of, of Trump's uh, uh, handling of the economy. Um, I was just doing some research on energy. I mean, oil production has increased 36% since Trump took office. We're now producing 12, 12.2 bil- uh, million barrels per day, more than Saudi Arabia. We are the world's oil producing superpower. Um, you know, it's it's things like that that I think people realize, look, you know, the guy's doing the right stuff on a lot of those fronts. Um, when you get into security, though, I think there is a different level in Israel than than here. And, and here is my concern. The baseline of what you said is true. And I think, you know, the more to the left the pe- the Democrats get. And I think once you actually have a candidate and it's not just a generic do you not like Trump mm-hmm. ballot as it was in 2018? And it still kind of is. I think you're going to see what you said. But the broader question I, that I have for us, not just Republicans beating Democrats, but actually getting in normal conservatives that will actually change it, not fake to change things. Do we have to undergo what Israel did? So meaning, what meaning with- I can have all these nice progressive proclivities when I send my kids to, to spend a, uh, to spend a, a Friday at, after school at the Tel Aviv mall and it gets blown up and, and, and they come home in a box. Uh, you know, I'm suddenly forced to acknowledge the world for ha- how it is, not how my progressive uh, liberal college professors convinced me it was. Is that what I hear you saying? Yep. We could do a whole show on this. It's, it's, fascinating culturally what has gone on in Israel. Mm-hmm. So to begin with, they always had a higher tolerance for insanity and suicidal liberal policies than we did just because their entire civilization was built on a tenuous security situation. So people were getting blown up and killed from day one um, much earlier on than you saw in other Western countries. And it unfortunately was the price of of, of living there. Uh, so, so, you know, people in Tel Aviv would view Jerusalem as like the way people in uh, the East Coast here would view the West Coast, even though there it's what I don't know, a hundred miles away, and 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 here we're talking about three thousand miles. But what happened was over time, you had the Second Intifada, which was the really the watershed moment in Israeli history. It's something like the equivalent of if if you would extrapolate their population for America's population, thirty thousand Israelis being killed and maybe a hundred thousand wounded. So everyone knew someone who was killed by it, mm-hmm. and then then you had the rockets. And now they're firing rockets at Tel Aviv, which is kind of the the left-wing bastion there. That is where all the left-wing voters are. So you you can't ignore it. There's no more rope to get So we're talking about a country about the size of New Hampshire, right? Somewhere around there? New New Jersey. New Jersey. And so all uh, all the politically correct, enlightened people may all be living in Trenton. OK, but but they are they cannot escape the reality of what is happening elsewhere in a, in a community of that size. Everyone is aware of it. And the reality is smacking them right in the face. There's no you, you are not afforded an ivory tower uh, refuge from the realities of evil. Let me put a data point on that. The Labor Party got four percent of the vote. They got four percent of the country went out and voted for Ben Gurion's party. It's unbelievable if you think about it. And this that's with party Bibi Netanyahu embattled with corruption and skin scandal yeah, and everything else. Yeah. T- ten year and, and you know how it works with in Western societies. 
uh, Australia, Canada, European countries, they flip back and forth, mm-hmm. the right and the left. They always, because there's fatigue, there's saturation of, of media. People get sick of the guy. This guy has been there for 10 consecutive years, plus three years in, in, in the 90s. And and again, this new party was called blue and white, I think, you know, the, the stripes of their flag, mm-hmm. kind of like patriotic, mm-hmm. a military general. It wasn't like, you know, a Beto type of guy. Um, he had he had a lot of gravitas to him. So even the people in Tel Aviv, they voted for that guy, not um, not labor. So that's what I'm saying. My big question for our civilization is, do we need to get to the point where the cartels are shooting rockets? Does it have because the problem is a lot of this is not apparent. People don't know how many sex offenders. And let me tell you, it is unreal the number of child molesters who are illegals. It's like every hour I see another story. In the in the Yuma sector or Tucson sector, they caught over a dozen of them just last month coming to the border, and that's with the small resources they have to still patrol. I mean, it's, it's unreal what's going Daniel, on. Daniel, we had we had nine eleven, okay. And if any of our, if you or any of our audience has spent any time in Manhattan at all, Thirty Rock, all these places where all these media enclaves are located in New York, are one subway ride, one one cab fare, one Uber, often within walking distance of Ground Zero. All right, and they go to work in this community every day and see Ground Zero. They had people they lo- they worked with, they loved, they knew that were lost that day. Okay, and yet. They will go on the air today and they will defend Ilan Omar and they'll say Stephen Miller, who's Jewish, is uh, an anti-Semite. OK, so I, I don't know what a breaking point would be. I don't. We had Steve, one I, I and we and we made all the wrong. Ch- we yeah. gave up fourth. We gave up. We went, we made all the wrong post 9-11 choices. We went totally progressive in our foreign policy. We're still burying uh, veterans from Afghanistan just yesterday. All right. We created a mass surveillance state. We went multi-trillion dollars in debt. Oh, I mean, we made all we ha- we, we watched what should have been the breaking point moment you just described and then pre- and then proceeded to make all the wrong choices af- in, in the aftermath. And then, and then now we bring in roughly 160 to 175,000 um, individuals from Muslim countries on green cards, plus roughly the same on visas every year uh, since 9/11. And at our border, the Rio Grande Valley Patrol uh, um, chief said at a congressional testimony earlier this week that just in his sector, they've seen people from 50 50 countries come in this fiscal year, including Turkey, Egypt, Yemen, Afghanistan, um, in addition to obviously the hundreds of thousands coming from Central America. So yeah, I mean, we made it, we squandered it, and, and I hate to look upon it as an opportunity, but once it did happen, it was a policy opportunity to do the, do the right thing. I, I would just say the problem is that I think it really woke people up. You remember living it at the time, mm-hmm. but you know, time as a way of healing things, where, whereas in Israel, it's a nonstop infiltration, so it's at any moment. I mean, they could have you know, a nine eleven every single day, is what I hear you saying. Every day, yeah. rockets are shot every day, mm-hmm. and time has really healed this. It's been, you know, eighteen years, and I think th- that's the issue. It's just people live their lives are too good, um, precisely because the economy is so good. They have the ability to virtue signal, um, because frankly, you know, this is another thing. You know, Steve, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this point up. Um, and this is it's probably a lot of biblical overtures in, in this prediction, but Israel as a country is getting a lot more religious. 
Um, not surprisingly, the two go together. It moves more conservative. It's gotten more religious over time. Um, whereas all other Western countries, including America, is getting more, more and more secular. Yeah. So people need to experience a quasi-spiritual um, outlet to, to, to virtue signal. Mm -hmm. So if it's not God's word, it's going to be man-made virtue signaling, and that's mm -hmm. what you see today. Very well said. That is our weekly prophet uh, dropping uh, some prophetness on you right there with that ending. Good stuff, Daniel Horowitz. Thanks for joining us again this week here on The Blaze, brother. Take care. Take care. What'd you guys think of what Daniel had to say there, particularly at the end? This has been one of the more interesting, and Daniel is always a fountain of of knowledge of of very uh, you know solid food. Uh, this was one of the more interesting conversations I think we've had with him, especially I think at least this year. Um, just some of the historical background and some of the differences, just the, the the stark differences in why people live the way they do in Israel and make the decisions public policy wise in Israel the way they do based on their surroundings and. You're right to point out that uh, so-called breaking point, but Daniel came back, and what Daniel said is absolutely true. Why do we have to get it to the point where it's every single day in every single community mm -hmm. in our country that we're experiencing uh, fill-in-the-blank XYZ scourge of illegal immigration? Why do we have to wait till that point? Is that going to be our breaking point? And right now, it certainly seems like it is. I mean— that is it. That was an excellent point he made. I mean, this isn't this isn't new that they have a daily breaking point. They face one as a people, the Israelis, and it didn't stop Shimon Perez from coming here in the '90s and almost and, and handing Yasser Arafat 99 percent of what he wanted. You know, so um, really well done by Daniel Horowitz. Hour two, where we offend you, is next. <laughs> And we are back with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze. I be Steve Dace, they be Todd and Aaron. Who you be? You can let us know by emailing us. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Last name is D-E-A-C-E. -E. Like us on Facebook a lot. Keep, keep liking us because apparently... Facebook's not fond of letting us know how many people really do like us. Uh, or you can follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on, we're going to play our weekly game of buy, sell, or hold. Hey, do you struggle uh, to get started each day or you hit that 5 p.m. or 3 p.m. crash and that has you running for the gas station or the convenience store in order to put a whole bunch of chemicals uh, that uh, you can't pronounce uh, into your body? to give you that uh, energy boost for a few hours. Don't do that. Especially when you can uh, do it the all-natural way, okay? If, 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 if you take your car there to get energy, that's not the place for you to get energized. That's for your car. Get your energy from your manufacturer. Get it from nature. Get it from your creator the way they intended it. With our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, they've got a new formula called From Dawn to Dusk that uh, it will... It's clean energy. It, it even helps you kind of provide a focus and improves your mood. And it'll do so up for 10, for 10 hours. And guess what, man? No come downs, no jitters, no afternoon crashes, no calories, not even any sugar. Why? Because it's all natural, guys. All right? So if you want to give this a shot, 
I use this product on a regular basis. It's one of my favorite things we endorse around here. I love this stuff, all right? Visit BrickHouseSteve.com. That's the website, BrickHouseSteve.com. And if you use promo code Steve, you'll get 15% off of your first order of this groundbreaking formula. From dawn to dusk, BrickHouseSteve.com. That's the website, promo code Steve, to get that 15% discount at BrickHouseSteve.com. All right, let's get to today's Truth Bomb, courtesy of my new book, Truth Bombs. Confronting the lies conservatives believe to our own demise. Endorsed by a lot of people you like more than me, a lot more than me. Ben Shapiro, Mark Levin, Glenn Beck, Matt Walsh, Dan Bongino. I want to thank them for their endorsements because it helped to convince a few of you at least to buy the book. You can give us a five-star review at Amazon if you haven't done that yet, if you've read the book. Please consider doing that. So today's truth bomb. Um, I'm going to defend millennials. Because every now and then, I think they get unfairly stigmatized. And I think this is one of those times. There is a column currently trending at USA Today that says, quote, reform capitalism or young will embrace socialism. While the column is undoubtedly well-intentioned, its premise is entirely wrong. Our youth are not poised to embrace socialism because their parents and grandparents already did. Their parents and grandparents agreed. Government could automatically confiscate their production each paycheck before they even see it. Their parents and grandparents agreed to work the most productive years of their lives to pay for the retirement and medical costs of others. Their parents and grandparents agreed government could artificially and authoritatively set wage minimums and wage requirements. Their parents and grandparents agreed to a culture that de-incentivizes meritorious competition for participation trophies. Their parents and grandparents accepted a progressive tax scheme and have failed to rally to any attempt to replace it with a less divisive and more profitable flat or even fair tax system. Their parents and grandparents accepted endless subsidizing of victimology and corporatism and then had the gall to call it, quote, capitalism while doing so. Therefore, millennials and Generation Z are not poised to embrace socialism because of capitalism needing to be reformed. Rather, the preceding generations deformed capitalism. So the youth are prepared to accept that which they were handed down. Socialism because... It was the preceding generations that rejected capitalism. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, you spoke a couple days ago about uh, Glenn Beck and the work he's done uh, over the years laying out the creep of such things. And here you're talking, you're echoing that. This has been going on since the early 20th century. I mean, it's it's a hundred years old tale, as old as time. Uh, Of course, this is not a new invention. It is certainly getting turned up to 11 
we're at the point now where instead of dealing with um, Palpatine, we're flat out dealing with Lord Sidious. That that's absolutely where we're at right now. It's all out in the open. Um, uh, but the, uh, on certainly uh, on the fridges, uh, there have been. I mean, there's there was a a red scare, and and that's more than just an economic system. Uh, but for a reason, you're not you're not paranoid if they're really following you. There were there have always been. Uh, people who thought communism was a cozy feel. Steve, just earlier today, gosh, wasn't was it on your sports show that you were talking about the Pilgrims and their the, the, how, it, how long it took them to figure no, out? No, we we talked about it here before yeah, the yeah, show yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We were just talking it. Uh, but yeah, that the, the the utopian notion is always there in humanity. Because it is the essence of idolatry. It 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 replaces God with uh, something of human creation and those pilgrims who took all of those risks, all of those risks, established socialism when they first got here. I mean, the human, those thorns in the side, the human heart, it is a messed up thing. So as much as the punchline started off this thing, it is sober and solid food to say that they are inheriting something that generations have been building towards this moment with. I remember a few years ago, um, uh, the family leader here, where we share office space with them, that Bob Vanderplatz, our buddy's organization, sponsored the uh, the only debate of the uh, GOP Senate primary in the 2014 campaign, which was the apex of the, the summit of the Tea Party movement. And um, Republicans were on that way, on their way that cycle to one of the biggest uh, Senate power swings in modern in, in the history of the two party system since its advent post Civil War, it would be a nine seat swing. They would go from uh, five seats down to four seats up, and and so everybody's vying for a chance to. Tom Harkin had retired, so we've got all these candidates in the race. Joni Ernst now has has the seat, and at this debate, Charles Grassley, Eric Erickson at the Resurgent was the was the moderator of the debate. And uh, it was he was still with Red State back then. And, and Senator Grassley, as our longtime Republican senator for life, uh, he was invited to give the opening remarks for the Senate primary or this uh, Senate primary debate. And this was a pretty young crowd in the audience. A lot of young evangelicals, a lot of young Ron Paulers, um, young meaning, you know, our age and younger. So, you know, late 30s, early 40s, down to Aaron's age maybe sensing that a little bit and you don't get to be Senator for life if you don't know your audience. All right. And so Grassley, you know, kind of began this riff on limited government and our previous generation set the wrong example with how much they allowed government to grow, how high they allowed taxes to get, how much spending they permitted uh, to go on. You know, we're, we're spending right now in Washington, 13.7% above the Obama era spending levels right now, right now. That was in May of 2014 is when that debate took place. May of 2014. So nearly five years ago. Can you think of one major limited government endeavor? One major decrease in government spending that in the last five years, Senator Grassley's led since his party's controlled the Senate since then. Can you think of one? Can I just add for some more context too? My dad is retired. Chuck Grassley was first in elected office 
when my dad was six. That's insane. That That's just absolutely insane. So Todd, in the last five years, since no. I, I, I sat in the audience, I was, t- I was five feet from Chuck when he, when he gave this, when he gave this, you know, riff that sounded like an ad lib, you know, can you think of one time he's led some kind of battle on reigning in spending the size and scope of government in the last five years? Not beyond the mere soundbite or raw rhetoric. No, I, I, that lasted and just drifted away. I can't think of one. And in the last five years, he's run for reelection once. Okay. Did he face a serious challenger for re-election? No. Huh. So there really wasn't much of an... Who votes more, particularly in a state like Iowa? People 50 and older or people 40 and under? Who do you think votes more in general, but especially in a state like ours? 50 I think, and older. Yeah, we're like the fourth or fifth oldest state in the country. Yeah. Right. So the older generations didn't seem to mind that he didn't do anything to rein in any spending, right? Because they're getting theirs. Yeah. And prior to... Um, how many times did Republicans try to beat Tom Harkin from the right? Decades. Did they ever beat him? No. Same people were fine with Tom Harkin growing government, spending money, right? They were fine with it mm-hmm. totally, right? Huh. Weird. But yeah, let's, let's blame the millennials for this. They're just, yeah. So Aaron, as our resident millennial, your thoughts on this conversation? Well, I do feel like I am owed some sort of reparations, and we'll start with you, too. My my first inclination, then, is what do we do different (laughs) to try to reclaim capitalism? Or some some form of actual capitalism, and mean to me this this whole uh, spiel for the last ten minutes. It's not a spiel, but the, this whole conversation for the last ten minutes. Oh, there's probably some people been. in the audience think it's a spiel right about now. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. there's a Freudian slip there. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, this whole conversation for the last ten minutes. Um, it it's struck me as a couple of of phrases we use. Uh, we're not trying to st- uh, we're not trying to win a debate. We're trying to start one. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, uh, why get a third political party? I'd like to try to, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's not, uh, you know, it's not like, like we're actually rejecting capitalism. We're just kind of, uh, deciding how much socialism we want at this point. Um, you know, we want actual capitalism before we try to get back, you know, try to have a conversation about socialism. I mean, my, my question is then why, you know, how do you, how do you return to some sort of basic understanding of capitalism and belief in capitalism at this point if it's just if the, it, if this is just where we are the answer to me is certain it's going to be counterintuitive to most people but as as long as you are living in a place where you believe in transgenderism and gay marriage you'll never get back to it because if you don't un, the the root of the the latin root economia is is family mm-hmm. if you do not understand what a family is what the role of a man is within that and a woman is it it cannot grow into something uh that flourishes as capitalism is because you understand your duties and your obligations to the other your specific role and you fulfill them it, it it's simply and who, impossible. who you're accountable to exactly. for not doing so. It's simply yeah. impossible right now. So that's that's your uh, you know that's your deep dive theological answer is what he just gave you. Let me bring it up. So so that's down in the deep end of the ocean is where Todd took us right away. Let's go to the wading pool. 
let's try to make this as, as simple as we can. Where would I defer your generation? Tell me where, where, where would I tell them, hey, here's where you can observe this in the wild. Here, here's, here's where to go to see how this is supposed to work. Where would I send them? So you're trying to find, uh, asking for an affirmative. Yeah. An affirmative. What state would I my, send them to? My, like, yeah. like, like more than half of the states in this country, government is their biggest industry. Yep. Okay. That's it. So what state would I send them to? What industries would I tell them, um, you know, to, to gaze upon? Where would I, where would I, where would I look for? Like I can, I can show, I ha- I can give evidentiary, evidentiary citations that children are better off with a husband, with a mom and a dad. All right. There's still places we can go to show examples of some of the, the themes that we that that we are historically attempting to conserve as conservatives. Where would I send them? Where would I send your generation? Go here or to observe the, how this works. Yeah. Well, there are basically no obs- not no examples. What's I would, not I subsidized? Would say, I would say though. I mean, if you want uh, not an affirmative example, but it's that campus reform video. Hey, you like socialism so much? Why don't you share your GPA? Okay. That, and that, that, that's not that's not. I don't think that's what you're saying though. Well, no, it's not what I'm saying. But it's what I was going to say next. We're in a position, this, this is the same conversation I just had with Daniel Horowitz. Same conversation. The Israelis had to be dragged kicking and screaming into reality by a body count. And they just could, they tried to ignore it for a long time. The original, the original gangsta, the OG, the man who helped launch the, who helped, who helped oversee the terrorist bombing of the Munich Olympics, the OG. Yasser Arafat, they welcomed him, welcomed him into the palace hall. They legitimized him. They broke bread with him at the White House in the 90s. They're going to make him a head of state. They made Abbas a head of state. The enlightened crowd in Israel spent decades making all these same mistakes. And then eventually the people said, we're tired of our kids coming home from the Tel Aviv mall in a damn box. Make it stop. Make it stop. Make it end. Don't want to watch this anymore. We're not tired of our kids coming home from from Kabul in a box yet. That'll preach. It's because it's in Kabul. Yeah. So they faced existential peril daily. The Israeli people did. And it took them decades to get to the point where they were willing to acknowledge reality on this level. We, there's, there's, so that's why it's revival. We say revival or what? Bust. So you invoked the pilgrims. They came here seeking revival. They went bust, bro. They went bust. Half of them dead. They went bust. They said, let's try something new. You know, Winthrop and the guys are sitting around doing a Bible study. They see this part where parable of the talents comes in and Jesus says, whoever has a lot will be given even more. And whoever has a little and is a poor steward of that will have even that taken away from them. So they did a 180. And they had revival. They went bust. They were going to go bust. You asked for an affirmative observation. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, or an example of where this is working. This is kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, but Bernie Sanders' success as an author. I mean, 
That's great, actually. Well, and Bernie himself is saying, hey, if you have a best-selling book, you can be a millionaire too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, we, we, we've talked on this show, on this very show, about the degree to which people who would claim to be the very defenders of capitalism, mm -hmm. they defend corporate welfare in yeah. a way they yes. would never uh, for yeah. personal yeah. welfare. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why, guys, which is why the conversation, again, that Tucker Carlson tried to kick off, that's why, that, that is integral to this. Yeah. Yes! Except the basis, the basis, and, and he did a great job, and I'm not knocking that at all, but again, this is related to the basis of what Todd just said a few minutes ago. We're never going to have a coherent understanding of what Tucker Carlson is talking about when he talks about, um, you know, uh, morality uh, or the amorality with capitalism and the results of that. We're never going to have a, 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 an affirmative foundation for understanding that until, again, it's revival and understanding the basis for our entire uh, economy, which is, as Todd pointed out eloquently, uh, the family. And everything's related. Everything's connected. No, that's really, that's really true. I, we, we get our uh, testes busted all the time being Iowans because of ethanol, right? Mm -hmm. And all my limited government buddies, including my, my best limited government buddy who's on the show each, each week, who was just on last hour, we get our nuts cracked over this all the time. All right. One yep. giant big subsidy. The oil industry is more uh, oil. The petro industry is far more heavily subsidized. So, Okay, you make, you, you make the argument. You tell an Iowa farmer who government is already telling him how much corn he can grow and how much he can sell it for, whom he can sell it to. Yeah. How much land he can own and what he can do with that land and how much it has to be insured. You go tell that guy that he can't process corn into biofuels while we're going to subsidize ExxonMobil's green energies program. You make that argument. And then say to yourself, why do they think we're the party of the rich? I don't understand this. I don't know where they get this, these ideas from. I don't know. Where do you think they got these ideas from? Where did, where did Aaron's generation get these ideas from? You know, when, when, when they brought in the participation story, trophy stuff, this stuff was coming in as, as our generation mm -hmm. was leaving the high schools. It was starting to come in. Those four or five, I mean, you would know this better than anybody being around youth soccer for decades, literally growing up yourself and now your daughters are in it. Mm -hmm. those, those five-year-old kids get around and vote. Who made the decisions to get rid of the, the standings and stop keeping score? The kids or the adults? The adults. The adults. And then at the end of the game, all the kids come to you and ask what question? What was the score? What was the score? <laughs> it's not their fault. It's not. If you feel like the next gen, like Aaron's generation is totally lost. What, well, you know, they, didn't, they weren't taught the history of socialism and communism, and so they don't know. What's worse? Having not been, because that's true, they weren't. What's worse, having not been taught these things and reverting to the wrong side of history that you were never taught? Or, you know what? What the hell? Let's go for the kill. This one's for the few remaining a bunch of you that aren't offended yet. What's worse? Being the generation that was not taught history and falling for history's canards like socialism or being the generation whose parents defeated these fallacies over there 
and then stood by and did nothing while they were imported and injected into the bloodstream over here and then subsidized it the whole damn time. What's worse? Todd, your thoughts. You're reminding me of conversations I've had with my uh, four daughters at a certain coming of age. I have no doubt you've had the same ones. And they're starting to look at adult, the adult world and adult problems. Like, But they're, they're in that transition period. And they think becoming an adult becomes, you, well, you, you got your act together. You you have you make the trains run on time. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, yes. I know. It's fun. I know. But, I know. And, and it's that moment where you're teaching them. And it's what I said before, you know, those thorns in the side. Even the pilgrims, you know, this is why your mom and your dad teach you about Jesus and why it's so important for you to follow him. Because you know those sins, those the, those ones that you do uh, when you weren't nice to your sister, when you lied, something like, yeah, daddy. If you let those go on inside of you and become an adult, that's where the monsters are created. And we have created generation upon generation that not they don't believe in those monsters anymore. Um, and so we get what we deserve. Yes, we do. The baby boom generation watched their generation, their parents go overseas and defeat all these ideas when they were taken to their their ultimate conclusion. Not other bad ideas. Literally yes. these yeah. ideas. Literally these same ideas, these same arguments. And then stood by and allowed them all to be injected and imposed in all of our cultural institutions. And yet we want to mock we where did they where did the idea that I don't have to move out and get a job? Um where did the idea come from that that was acceptable? Where? Where did this idea that everyone has to go to college, rack up a bunch of student loan debt to learn not a damn thing? Were you thinking about student loan debt when you were three, four, five years old, Aaron? Were you thinking about that? Not really, no. Were you thinking about an art design degree or women's studies? Were you thinking about that at six? No, I wanted to be a spy. Yeah, when you, when you started playing sports, were you thinking, you know what, did you and your buddies get together and when you played youth football and thought, let's not keep score and never find out who wins? Did you guys oh, do that on your own? Heck no. Where did all these ideas come from? And who allowed them to happen? Who set the stage for this? I've used this phrase in other contexts, but it applies here too. Dr. Frankenstein always ends up hating the monster he created. A voice cries out. Rachel weeps for her children. Do you have itchy ears? <laughs> yes. Ear pain. I wasn't going to do this one now, but I was going to wait till after the break. But I looked down, I saw it was the next one. I'm like, I got it. That's a live grenade. I got to jump on that one. Do you have itchy ears? Ear pain. Maybe that plugged up feeling. Have you stopped asking people to repeat themselves? Or I'm sorry, are you constantly asking people to repeat themselves? If these problems sound familiar... You could be like millions of Americans forced to visit the doctor or uh, go for a professional ear cleaning. But now you can get those same results in the comfort and convenience of your own home 
And now, even without a prescription as well, it's called WaxRx. It's a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH-conditioned formula. And you can also try WaxRx risk-free today. Just go to usewaxrx.com if you want to give it a shot. That's the website. All one word. Use WaxRx. All one word and then the dot com. And while you're there, use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. That's usewaxrx.com, offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. No more doctor visits, no more long waits, copays, no time to go get a prescription filled. Get this done, comfort, convenience of your own home without a script. Usewaxrx.com, offer code radio at checkout. When we come back, um, you know what? Let me say one more thing about this. I know that there were plenty of people in the baby boom generation that saw what was happening, and that's why they created the Reagan revolution. I know that. You guys are my parents. Okay? I know that. How does it feel to have you with a broad brush generationally impugned for things that aren't really even your fault? How's it feel? Good? Does it feel good? No? So, I just think maybe before we do that to the millennials and Generation Z, and I'm guilty of it at times too, although I, I really try to paint every generation with a broad brush, <laughs> even my own. I'm really trying to really impugn the character holistically of them all. Um, but, um, this is all learned behavior, guys. All of it is. It is all learned. And sometimes learned behavior is an act of omission as much as commission or vice versa. Because they haven't seen these things modeled. But then also because they weren't taught the proper modeling. I mean... Who also paid for all the schools that didn't teach them real history? Does a does a fourteen year old pay taxes? How many twelve year olds determine what the curriculum is at their school district? Who made all those decisions too, Todd? Who made those decisions? The kids or the adults? The adults. The adults. Of course, increasingly these adults are actually just handing it over to the kids and saying, "Do whatever you want." So, wow. And I'm, that's literally true. We're, yeah. we're, we're inviting kids onto school boards now. Yeah. In many respects, it's, it's the logical conclusion of what we've already yeah. done. I mean, if we're going to make childlike decisions, we should probably consult that's, the children to see how best to manage, yep. you know, uh, you know, such uh, youthful matter, indiscretions. Yeah. They're the subject. No expert. doubt. Yeah. No they doubt. say things like that. He's not. They say literally. They're yes. the subject matter experts. Hey, we're 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 doing magical thinking here. We're we're doing you know desired outcomes is true whether they're true or not. Okay, and we're doing group think. So let's go right to the kids that this is their natural habitat. Make sure we're doing it well. We'll come back, play our little game of buy, sell, or hold. We'll touch on multiple topics when we return here live and on demand on the Blaze. Stay tuned.
And we are back here live and on demand on The Blaze. Steve Dace, Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and then there's you. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. It is now time, one of our favorite times of the week. It is our weekly game of buy, sell, or hold presented by our friends at Home Title Lock. Last year, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office released a grand jury report noting that upwards of 2,000 complaints had been sent into law enforcement of deed fraud, and almost every one of these cases involved some form of faulty notarization, or simple word, forgery. The problem was so bad, this report called it an epidemic. Criminals are looking for vulnerable properties. Scammers are scanning the obituaries, pouring through public records. It can take as little as a forged deed to transfer ownership of your home. And once it's done, it's almost impossible to reverse. This is the most valuable asset most Americans will have in their lifetimes, their own home. Protect it for pennies a day with our friends at Home Title Lock. They will put a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. You can go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your home right now to learn if your title has already been compromised or targeted. Now, this is normally a $100 value. It is free today for our family at The Blaze at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Aaron, with a little help from you, will throw out now a series of statements on a plethora of topics. Todd and I will decide, are we buying that? Are we selling that? Once per show, we're permitted to hold, but if we use it for any reason other than what you're asking us to respond to is beneath the dignity of our mediocre intellect. The dude code will demand that we are uh, mercilessly mocked and chided for refusing to take a stand. Aaron. First one from Christian. It's more likely that Elon Musk becomes a vigilante similar to Bruce Wayne than it is for Planned Parenthood to be defunded or the border wall to be built by 2024. Buy. Uh, I will buy too. But it's because I think I think it's far more likely abortion will be gone by 2024 than Planned Parenthood will be defunded. We've been trying to do this the wrong way around. Okay. Um, you've got to win the moral argument on what Planned Parenthood is doing is wrong first. Otherwise, in a mass welfare state, why would I target this one particular entity for defund when we're funding literally everything else you can think of as being funded? Yeah, the organization okay? will defund itself once yes. the moral argument is made and codified. So if we're going to make the moral argument that they don't deserve to be funded, then you're you're selling your own argument. You're undermining it. You're selling it short. It, let me put it in another context. You and I have six daughters between us. Suppose we were convinced that the man that our daughter was serious about marrying, and we had the evidence to prove it. So we had the evidence to prove he was a complete and total fiend, an abuser. I mean, what does Planned Parenthood do? They, they murder, dismember children. All right, so the worst kind of fiend you could imagine. But we went to our daughter and said, and that's why you should never marry him, only date. Aaron's laughing over there. Is that not kind of the argument we have made here all this time? Yeah. Just date him. Don't marry such an evil person. I mean, if you guys are just going to date, you guys want to hang out, you know? Friends with benefits. I mean, don't marry him. But it's does, how stupid does this sound? Very. Very. That's, that's how we've approached this argument. So to me, if what they're doing is bad, put them out of business. Why would, you know, defund the mob. 
defund the mafia. When people do bad things, do we put them out of business or we defund them? What do we do? We should put them out we of put business. We put them out of business. Okay. So if you gave me the option, if you changed defund Planned Parenthood to end abortion, I would not have sold or I would not have bought your proposition. Um, that timetable still may be optimistic, but I think we're much closer to that. You, you, this is it's the same strategy that was tried with slavery. Well, we'll just kind of gradually get rid of it. We'll take away all the incentives and everything for it. No, we won't. Won't work that way. Okay. So you'll either have to attack it head on or they're going to continue to get away with it. Eric says clone troopers are better than stormtroopers. Buy. That's an easy buy. Yeah, total sell. That's that's a generational thing. You know. Better we're just more talking accurate, the cool factor here. Yeah, the uh, cool no, the the white suits. No. No. More and, colors than and, the uh <laughs> Yeah, but they all stormtroopers. Yeah, but they all sound like that in one dude. No. Django Fett. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking of the actor's name, but yeah, no, I'm gonna sell. Uh, stormtroopers is even a cooler name than clone troopers, anyway. You 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 don't haven't we learned this? You don't buy something's cooler in the movies that came after the original trilogy in almost all respects, and certainly on this one. You got to go with the original. Yeah, if Aaron and Aaron, if you ever roll out with a Newt Gunray greater than Grand Moff Tarkin, I just want you to know that you're fired instantly. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, there's a line there. Yeah, I All think right. that's a little bit of a that's a bit of a straw man. Rumor has it Star Wars trailer tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know all the, you know, everything I've been predicting. It looks like it's. We're going to use Star Wars analogies. This is proceeding exactly as I have foreseen it. What J.J. Abrams is saying, what Ryan Johnson Mm -hmm. is and isn't saying, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to, except for the characters that are dead that they won't bring back, um, this next film is going to make it, is going to be the sequel to The Force Awakens, and it's going to be like The Last Jedi was never done. Good. That's what I think. Good. Neil Hess says, the first 10 minutes of Unplanned will be the most politically slash socially impactful segment of cinema for the next 50 years from your keyboard to God's ears, but I don't think so. We'll see. Um, that, I'm going to sell just because I think that's a really high bar. Yeah. Same. It's a really high bar. Okay. Not because it's not worthy of yeah. that. But. Yeah. Not because it's not, as it, it's not that impactful. But it's uh, it's a high bar, so I will sell. Lee Fish says Justin Rose wins the Masters. Sell. So, I'll just sell. Take the field. Yeah, just because if you give me any name versus the field, the odds are so much greater for the field. Yeah, so I'll sell. Ken Hyde says with a strong showing of Capital One and AT and T commercials and lack of SJW commercials, the NCAA tournament is close to supplanting the Super Bowl as the annual must-see commercial viewing event. I am really close to buying this. I think the commercials during the NCAA basketball tournament have been colossally better. The last, even the stuff from Spike Lee, Charles Barkley. Samuel L. Jackson is better than what you get from most of your Super Bowl commercials. And if you notice now they're bringing white guys on, I'm kind of, I I have not brought that. I didn't bring this up during the tournament because I just wanted to enjoy the tournament. But now that it's over, I have to say in today's environment of let me be offended and play the race card about everything. Who's that one guy that's the uh, Sean, um, who's like a total fraud. Sean King. Sean King. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of surprised we haven't gotten a Sean King column about why is Jim Nance and Larry Bird on those uh, commercials <laughs> yeah. with uh, Barkley, Samuel Jackson, and uh, Spike Lee um, 
Those commercials were just great with their blackness on their own. Why do they need white saviors? Like I've been, I'm, I've, I've kind of been waiting for that, you know, cause that's, that's how we're conditioned nowadays to think, but those commercials are great. The, uh, the may, uh, the mayhem commercials every year in the tournament yeah. are great. Uh, you know, uh, progressive insurances commercials are phenomenal. I'm with you on that. I think it, I think they'll never it'll never command what the Super Bowl does. It's the most television watched television event in the world. But in terms of the quality of the productions, uh, and a lot of them just seem to be let's just do really good commercials. And every year it seems the ad agencies with the Super Bowl are trying to proactively gauge what the political mood of the country will be in February of the next year, mm-hmm. and and they're letting that get in the way of just do a good commercial. I agree with all that, but I have to sell. It's it, the moment uh, and that draws in people, the casual viewer. It doesn't do it for March Madness, so I have to sell. Daniel Olson says the Joker film will end the year as one of the top five box office draws of the year. Top five in terms of money, he says. So, oh, I will sell. So it's too it, dark. It, it'll be too dark. Yeah, it'll be rated R. Um and you're already going to have, you know, you're, you know, you have an Avengers movie and a Star Wars movie that are already going to be two of those. The money Captain Marvel's made already guaranteed is going to be in the top five. So that's three slots. That's three slots already. Okay. And we're just getting into the Disney Disney portion of their release schedule. You know, the, the family stuff, Dumbo just came out. We haven't even gotten to the Lion King and Aladdin and that stuff hasn't come out yet. No, I'm 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 gonna sell. Yeah, I'm actually gonna take a risk and buy this. You know, there's there's some stock options that are just you know you, you got your portfolio. There's some high risks. There's a mm-hmm. few high risk in the. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that. I think I that think movie th- will be great or terrible. Oh yeah, like I don't I, think I it'll be a venom. That. Yeah, where as a whole the movie wasn't that great, but it had some cool scenes, so you kind of tolerated it. You know. Yeah. I I think when 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 you take when you take a story. That has largely been left to the imagination of an iconic character whose backstory is largely not filled in. We've gotten bits and pieces, you know, the one origin that he was the original Red Hood and he got dropped in the vat of acid by the Batman, a young Batman. Tim Burton alludes to that origin in the 1989 Batman film. Um, you know, the failed stand-up comic of the killing joke that's kind of alluded to in the trailer of this movie. Um, but when you take such an iconic character and you go about filling in decades of untold backstory so people have projected their imaginations into this it's really it's it's really hard to live up to people's imaginations and so that's why i think this movie will be either iconic or we'll walk out of there thinking what the hell they do that for yeah uh, Tony Mercer says the next Democrat elected president will appoint a minister of social media to regulate discriminating viewpoints online. I'm totally going to buy that. I don't know if it'll be called the position will be minister yes. of social media. Yeah, but. I don't I don't think I don't know that it'll be necessarily called that. But yeah, I'll buy you bet. Uh, yeah. Jason says Avenatti's right that's just called Twitter and Facebook. Shadow banning us. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Jason says Avenatti's Nike tweet leaks will have more substance and direct consequence than anything that got him on TV concerning politics. Absolutely. Buy. Easy buy. Easy buy. Yep. Uh, let's see. Tim says the DH will not make it to the NL outside interleague play. So the designated hitter will not make it into the National League outside of interleague play. Can I go back on the Avenatti thing for just a second? Sure. Because it is the year of no BS. Okay. He's full of BS. 
But the reason why he was given opportunities to continue to spew his BS for so long is twofold. One, he was singing the siren song cable news wanted to hear of their anti-Trump agenda. But two, the first time he put himself out there was that Trump had tapped this porn star and paid her off. Did that turn out to be true or not? It was true. Now, I would submit that if he had thrown such a specific allegation out there with the person and it failed miserably, he would not have been given the run to uh, try to, you know, ambulance chase the Brett Kavanaugh story, et cetera, because mm-hmm. he disappeared after all that stuff. They would have now they would have. That doesn't mean this, the anti-Trump siren song would have gone away. They would have just found other vehicles to sing the tune that they wanted. You know what I'm trying to say? Sure. The reason he became the face of this so rapidly it's because he was the one who threw out the most salacious accusation that was also the most specific that was largely affirmed and proven true. So is he a fraudster? Yes. Is he a scam artist? Yes. Is he um, likely uh, subhuman? Yes. But he hasn't always been wrong either. Just want to state that for the record. Now, if you gave me a people that I'd like, if, if I had a list of people I'd like to be my accuser, he'd probably be on it. Just because he ha- he is so compromised, but but the reason we there's a reason we know his name, and the reason we know his name is the first time he went out there into the into the public maelstrom, he was pro- largely proven right. That should be stated. All right, I'll restate this. Okay. Uh, Tim says the designated hitter will not make it into the National League outside of interleague play. What do you think? You're the baseball guy. If. If they, the rules that are coming, and if the, the um, minimum pitch to three batters rule, if if they like that, uh, then I think the DH is definitely coming. So I'm going to buy. Uh, if, if if but if it blows up those rule changes, it's going to just go back to the status quo somehow. The reason it's going to change, I think, is because if you if you have to face a minimum of three batters. Um, I I need to know if it's just going to be in an inning, and that's what I'm not sure about. I mm-hmm. haven't done a deep enough time, or if it has to be three batters and it carries over, especially if it carries over, and that pitcher has to bat, uh, that's going to be untenable. So maybe the rule is that they're thinking of it; it's just in one inning. Um, but I don't. If, if these rule changes work, basically, this is the most they've ever tinkered uh, with baseball. Uh, it's it's just going to be a flood. And they're not—they're not going to be able to stop themselves. Kind of akin to instant replay, all over the place. Um, I mean, it—the it, fact that they're looking at themselves and saying now we should review calls that weren't called—that's the height of stupidity. But there they are, the smart people in the room. We got to know. It's—we're getting dumber and dumber and dumber. So, dumb's going to win. See, I'm an advocate of the DH, and I'm—I'm shocked the uh, the Players Association over these last few years hasn't advocated for the, this rule because in general, who's going to make more money? A 35-year-old DH that can still hit 30 home runs or a 35-year-old reliever who's a specialist against left-handers twice now, a you're game? You're right. I, I left it too. I, I don't think having a DH is dumb, and we've had that conversation yeah, before. I, I just think the, the the playing with the rule, it's just... now you, Now, your holistic criticism, 
I agree with, and you've heard me say this on this yes, show, and, that's what and I, also yeah. to Kurt Schilling, the dumbest thing baseball could do—that's my point—is to is to is to ruin the distinctiveness of the game. And if you want to See, make the argument to me that the DH in one league and not in the other is part of the distinctiveness of the game, then that's the right argument. And, and you know what? Then that's, I'll say then keep it. Then yeah, that's okay. where I was going to push back on you because that's been your big thing about all of these rule changes. Is that you know that's not the that's not the thing that they need to focus on to get the younger generation, my generation more interested in going to ball games and being interested in the teams they need to do the things they experience around the ball game but when you're starting because uh, baseball didn't originally when it was invented it didn't have a dh that i'm aware Not of when it came in like 71 a couple of years before i was born somewhere yeah. around there i so i you know i keep keep um keep doing it the way it was invented the way that nature intended for baseball to be played make the pitcher be a pitcher makes make him somebody who has to be a, an all-around player of some sort of some magnitude and just keep it that way even if it is an easy out um sometimes you know sometimes the pitchers can can surprise you i mean i just i i like that more i i'm i'd be fine getting completely rid of the dh but then again, I don't watch so you, very but, much. But in baseball. general, do you, you agree with my point? The worst way to reach your generation is for baseball to say, we're like everybody else. Yeah. Well, the, but the worst way is to try to contort yourself and change yourself because that's not very authentic. Right, right. And we value authenticity. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Al the Clone says, Star Trek is Star Wars, but with compelling storylines and interesting characters. That's a total sell. Total sell. Yeah. That's a bad, yeah. Yeah, it's a bad take. Well, that's that's what we call a total troll. Yeah, it's a bad take. Non-hyphenated, non-hyphenated America says Cory Booker comes out as bi on a debate stage and at least for a week leads in the polls. I don't think he, it, well, I'm going to sell. Because I'm not sure if that's going to be specifically, yeah. Yeah, because I, if, I, if the first event that you predict to happen occurred, he would not just lead in the polls for a week. Okay. I said this yesterday. Pete Buttigieg's problem is not his sexuality. That's why he's not going to be the Democratic nominee. It's his only rationale for a candidacy, guys. Pete Buttigieg is not a serious candidate because politics works the same. Unless God supernaturally intervenes and makes a 14-year-old shepherd boy king. Here's how politics works in every system, in every era, in every language, and in every tribe. I didn't sell myself out so that you could step over me. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. He's not a serious candidate. Now, find someone who has a serious title, like Senator, who has a similar sexual proclivity. And then I think the fawning of, yes, I've previously got a chance to vote for a communist to prove I'm not a racist, and now I can prove I'm not a, ra I'm not a homophobe, and I'll vote for another communist. I agree that's a total game changer. You're underselling the impact it would have. That's why I'm selling. Yeah. What you said. Yeah, selling as well. Yeah, it's actually worse than you think it is. <laughs> Always. 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 Oh, we're back at it again tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. Oh,